You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This one is truly remote, about as remote as we can possibly get. I am coming to you live, actually, it recorded last week uh, for listeners from our Wilmington, North Carolina headquarters for Untapped. Um, it is a, let's see, 12 degrees. What's 12 degrees Celsius? It's pretty chilly out here, I should say. Um, I hear, Tim, though, that you're getting snow in L.A. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Not not necessarily snow in LA, but up in the mountains for sure. They're looking nice and white capped, and the uh, the roads up uh, up north are getting closed down. Uh, yeah, we've had a uh, had some pretty gnarly rain uh, the yeah. past couple of days, uh, which I mean, after a massive dry season is nice, but of course, then you have burn areas that get mudslides, and as you are well aware. The second a drop of rain hits the road in L.A., everything goes just wackadoodle and nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah, very very much like that uh, Wolfpack song, Christmas in L.A., if you've ever heard that one. <laughs> it's very good. Very, very good. Good jam. It, yes. Uh, but it is super I, exciting, actually, to be able to meet with a bunch of coworkers here at the Untapped office and uh, actually spend some time at some local breweries. Some new places have popped up since the last time I visited. And uh, I've actually been able to try a couple of new styles I've never had before for my Wheel of Styles badge. Um, But before we get into it, let's actually drink the beer for this episode. Tim, what do you have? Uh, This week, I have something called All Cats Are Gray in the Dark. It's coming from Fat Orange Cat Bruco. Um, And I basically, so I was trying to get up some more information. I'm not exactly sure how this works but i believe fat orange cat is they're they're the brewery and the people coming up with the recipes but it's actually brewed by dorchester brewing company uh and distributed out of boston massachusetts so a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a round there i've i've had a couple of um beers from fat orange cat yeah yeah uh, same here i believe two of them i got from tavor uh this one i have here i picked up at rose market which is over in my neck of the woods nice um but it's kind of an interesting an interesting one because um, the last two I had, I believe, were IPAs or New England IPAs. I can't mm-hmm. remember exactly. Um, but this one, this is a white stout, which is a pretty controversial style, it seems, <laughs> from what I did from the reading I did after that. Uh, it is a described with a subline of malt beverage with natural flavors and caramel color added. So... We'll see how this one pans out. It's 7.2 ABV, 50 IBU, a light-colored stout with a hint of coffee and strong notes of both chocolate and vanilla. By the way, that can looks incredible. I love it. Are you kidding? Is it Are those stars or are those just like... Yeah, it's like a... So it's, all cats look gray in the dark, so it's basically like a reversed... Um, the cat's all black with some stars in it. It's got this really sketchy sort of like... When you're using like a... Uh, a ballpoint pen it's color in a line drawing right sort of thing that's sort of like very sketchy <laughs> it's feel. definitely like a notebook sketch that you would have done uh in high school yeah and that's that's kind of the theme that i've seen with them their cans and it, that's one of the things that's really drawn me to it as we know i love great can art and just seeing this has been pretty cool well going with your theme i uh, picked up a local here uh from wilmington brewing company kitten biscuit <laughs> which uh according to the quote on the top of the can it says just because your cat has kittens in the oven 
it don't make them biscuits, which is, I guess, a play on a phrase that generally means in New England, just because you were born here doesn't make you really one of us. Um, and I think that's kind of funny for for something that is a New England style IPA uh, brewed, not in New England. And I am excited to get into this. This is uh, brewed with lactose, 8% ABV, and was canned on the 15th of November. So pretty fresh still. Oh, that is very fresh. Oh, hey, I've got a date on mine. Uh, 9 September 30th for this can out here. I, I'm pretty sure that you could go anywhere, and as soon as you see the word lactose, you're like, I'm getting it. <laughs> yep. Now, I should say for Wilmington Brewing Company, um, one of the folks that just joined our team at Untapped, Rob Brink, uh, has designed a number of these cans for Wilmington Brewing Company. I don't, I'll have to ask him in particular whether he has designed this one, but I uh, just wanted to put that out there as well. There is some some sort of um, uh, what a stipulation, I suppose, to my tasting of this. I'll be honest, it's very Californian. It, it's it's light and you know kind of kind of wavy i dig it uh geometric exactly it's got a bit of a nautical feel too which i think is kind of good for being like a, a little bit of a port city so off this i open this can up and immediately i just get caramel and vanilla right away just like blasted in the face hmm. yeah for me it is definitely citrus um it smells very light. Uh, this is not a double IPA. This is just a single IPA brewed with lactose. Um, not a whole lot of lactose on the nose. Still smells a little kind of, you know, very hop forward um, and mm-hmm. not as much smooth. Usually lactose th- lends itself well to the the flavor and the texture of a beer. And I'm excited to, to get into this one. I should say it's also brewed with uh, pale malt, wheat, oats, and something called carapils, which I don't think I've ever heard of. It's basically a malt that falls into the dextrin malts and is intended to improve body, mouthfeel, head retention um, by adding resistant dextrins, proteins, non-starch polysaccharides, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Not, not to get too technical and deep into that. It's a very interesting read. We'll put a link in the show notes for this. But uh, all of these, like the lactose and the oats and the carapils, all sound like they are intended to be very mouthfeel oriented. Um, should be a pretty fluffy. That's one of my favorite words. A very fluffy beer. Looking at um, looking at this white stout here. So I, I'll, I'll ask you: Have you have you had a white stout before, or a golden stout? I have. So white stouts for me are kind of um, they they look incredible because when you order them and you say, "Oh, it's a stout." This this would tend to happen sort of, I don't know, maybe five, eight, ten years ago where I would order a beer and it would say stout and I would get it and it would look straight up like an IPA. It would kind of have this amber golden hue to it and I would say, I ordered the stout and they would say, yeah. So I, <laughs> it's kind of, it plays tricks on you. Um, yeah, it, definitely. Is it very malt forward? How What's the flavor like? Um, on this one, so I guess... Really quick on the color, because you had mentioned that uh, the first time I ever had a white stout was something called White Knight at Angel City Brewing in Los Angeles. Um, I saw it on there and I was like, wait, what is this? I've got to see what this is. And it was one of those things where 
we've we've done, talked about this before. Um, I can't remember which style it was, but it's basically like a mind trick. Oh, it was the, I think when we covered the clear IPA right. a while back, yes. it was like it was like a yes. mind trick. <laughs> Same thing. You get it, and you're like, wait, so it's golden, and it's going to taste this way, but when you put it in your mouth, it tastes some other completely different way. This one, on the other hand, compare it, like in contrast to that, is a bit more of a golden sort of ambery hue hmm. than the um, the white knight that I had a while ago, which really was like a golden straw colored, like very, you know, very transparent um, stout style or like style golden or white stout. Sorry. Mm-hmm. As far as the flavors on this one, it's interesting because it's almost like it's almost like a bitterness is kind of fighting the roastiness. Interesting. Okay. In a ba- in a balanced kind of way or in almost a um like too many things going on kind of way. Kind of a head to head sort of way. Like oh, like like a front up flavor and then a sort of finish that is completely different. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um it the the flavors like I said the aroma on this thing is just like straight up vanilla like caramel. I it's it's it smells like a dessert. Um the taste uh it, it's I'm struggling a little bit to really Defined because of then because again that mental blockage, um, it's it's gonna have that it's got that roasty sort of malty thing going on up front, and then the the hoppy sort of like bitter side seems to f- linger a bit on the back of the tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems very smooth too. That's another interesting thing is that while you're while you're seeing this sort of golden thing that you expect to be you know bubbly and effervescent and all that stuff, um, it's very smooth. Yeah, I think a, a golden stout on nitro is is how I'll typically see it, where it really kind of enhances the uh, the roast character of that, and it really smooths it all out rather than it being just strictly carbonated. Um, it it sort of adds additional body to it that a carbonated beer doesn't have. Yeah, and that that um that sort of lingering taste. I'm also as I sit here and kind of let it sit. It's a very very um, big hints of chocolate. I'm getting in there too. And you would never expect that. I think that's the, the the dissonance between the look of the thing and the flavor of it. I'm I'm wondering. It does come in a can, so yes, it would be very interesting to sort of either do it blind or uh, just you know take it straight from the can to see whether that would you know I- impact your perception of of the beer at all. I think there is also a misconception, you know, the other way around, right, where you think that a light beer is supposed to taste a certain way, you also kind of expect a dark beer to taste a certain way. When you see someone pour a Guinness and you think, boy, that's got to be, you know, like this super syrupy, just mapley, overwhelming, thick beer. And it's not. It's it's completely different. Yeah, that's very true. So how is your beer there shaping up? It's incredible. It's absolutely amazing. I actually last night had the um, the Paradise beer from Alvarado Street that you had posted on our Instagram uh, a few days ago, a few weeks ago maybe. Um, incredible. Another beer that had oats, lactose, and uh, was a New England-style IPA. Very similar, to be quite honest. The color on it is different from that beer, but it is, it's got kind of this like... Very orange, almost like the label that this beer was printed with. Kind of almost in that apricot-y, orangey hue. Head on it was pretty, again, head retention with the carapace malts seems to be doing quite well. 
Um, it's not one of those real, real, real flat uh, New England style IPAs. So I think overall really balanced um, and kind of exactly what I expected based on the ingredients that were in it. So incredibly excited to actually this is my first Wilmington Brewing Company beer. So I, I feel like I'm kicking this off in a good way. Um, and this <laughs> yes. is one of those kind of, you know, local local favorites. So really glad I was able to get my hands on this one. Yeah, I've been um, seeing your check-ins while you are out there and um, feeling a little jealous on some of them for sure. <laughs> I know New Anthem is right around the corner from our office there. And when we were there the last time um, and spent some time there, they made some amazing stuff. So it seems that uh, top-notch breweries are kind of a thing for the area there. Yep. Yeah. If you're ever out in Wilmington, North Carolina, definitely find a way to get to Wilmington Brewing Company. Find a way to check out the beer scene over here because it is both, you know, like a longstanding thing that they're doing. And also there are so many new places opening up every single year that are really experimenting with styles that you don't see many of, you know, grisettes. Um, That's I was going to ask you, you, you mentioned that you tried a whole bunch of new styles. What were those? All right, so using our our app, I'm actually searching for our Wheel of Styles badge and scrolling down to, we have a list of your styles that you have had is one column and have not had is another. So the three, actually, that I've added recently are the Kavas, which I believe we've talked about before. This was at Flying Machine Brewing Company, and uh, it's basically a... Russian 16th century beer-like beverage made with grains, wheat, rye, barley, dark rye, bread, etc. This one in particular had rye bread added to it directly with raisins. Um, It was really, really incredible. Uh, I also tried something called a Patter's beer, which is also known as a father's beer. Um, It's kind of like how you would have, you know, a grisette or a Saison being working man's beer. This one is specifically for the uh, fathers, the um, the Trappist uh, Monastery. And that, that beer is brewed specifically for them. That was also from Flying Machine Brewing Company. So it was really cool, actually, to, to try a couple of different styles I'd never had before. Um, kind of tick those off my, my Wheel of Styles badge. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to find more of them in the future. Um, they seem, they seem kind of like long lost styles, you know, if I'm not able to, uh, if this is my first time having them, but we, yeah, I, I honestly, I don't think I've heard of either of those, um, styles, honestly. Um, especially the, was it the Russian style with the rye bread and the raisins? Yeah. The kvass. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's, I feel like I've seen that around, but definitely not had or seen available. One last one that I tried, uh, this week was not a local beer, but this was from Lagunitas, their Sparkling Swan. We've got a badge that we're running for them right now. That is their Italian Grape Ale. And boy, was that very, very interesting. Um, I don't think I've ever tasted anything like that before. Very, very grape forward, as as the name implies. It's like uh, like their sparkling wine beer hybrid thing. Which is really cool. That's neat that you got to try it. Yeah, very champagne-y uh, as described on on the bottle. Have any of you had either of these beers that we are enjoying right now or perhaps another favorite cat-themed beer? You should definitely let us know on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. Send us those cat photos. I want to see them. Yes, indeed. The uh, Was it the... Um... 
International Cat Day, I believe, was. Oh, we passed that one already. Yeah. But we need more. All right, let's move on to our Style of the Week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more. So we're uh, we're going to be a little light on the Style of the Week this week. Light in color and light in information. All right. Um, un- unlike our previous ones, there's not too much on the origin of the White Stout. Since I'm having it, I thought we would put a little bit of discussion into it. Um, I, I, I don't have a ton on the history here, but I did find an interesting article on beerandbrewing.com, um, that I kind of pulled some excerpts from that I thought, you know, was kind of an interesting way to look at it. Uh, white stout, it, it's a style that confuses some, enrages others and gets a lot of brewers very excited. Uh, you can call it a lot of things, but the white stout is not only a style, but also has a playground, uh, for making interesting, flavorful beers. Yeah. Now, see, I'm very, very curious to to know why there is contention in this particular style, because you mentioned it up up top and it, it seems kind of like, you know, you're just it it is how it is. Uh, but, you know, the color seems to maybe be the thing that that kind of pushes people one way or the other. Yeah. And that's I think that's really it's it's a perception issue more than it is an actual like issue with the beer itself. Um, the article does uh, say, which I think is pretty funny, if you want to provoke a significant uh, proportion of the beer community, there's a simple way, as I recently discovered. Ask the question, so, any thoughts on white stouts? I guess we've given plenty of those in this episode. Uh, maybe maybe it's the fact that we are not brewers ourselves, and so we don't really have a a strong opinion of it, but I don't know. That's kind of the interesting thing here. They say chaos uh, chaos ensues after you ask that question with uh, many assert that it's oxymoronic. Others call it a gimmick. Some are genuinely enthusiastic. And one faction claims it's real but misnamed. Perhaps my favorite response was, what's wrong with these people? No, just no. (laughs) But unlike the the consumer side of things, which really kind of is all over the mark or all over the map, uh, the professional brewing community is pretty excited about it because it is an interesting style that gives more room to experiment. You're not really pigeonholed into an expectation, so to speak. Right. As John Stemmler of Free Will Brewing in Percasi, Pennsylvania put it, pale stout is tasty but requires explanation to sell. When we hear stout, we think dark. Working against the impression invites a challenge. It's a challenge some breweries accept. So that's, that's a very good point. You know, Like I said, I think it took a couple of visits to angel city the first time before I actually tried the white Knight because the concept just really threw me for a loop, especially in the early days of like my getting into the craft beer world. Now I think this next example that you've got is my first experience of it. I also have had an ice cream made with this particular beer. So when I received it and it said that it was going to be this creamy stout thing here, I am looking for chocolate looking ice cream and it absolutely was not yeah that's and that's exactly it um this one here it's uh, another quote um uh, response from brad kamenek uh he's the head brewer at noble ale works which is down in anaheim california um he says that it, basically that their naughty sauce white stout is incredibly well received um i i've i've heard of it again i that's another one on the list that i'm surprised i haven't had yeah but it's also one of their best sellers week after week competing with their ipa so you've got you know you've got this weird sort of 
some people think it's a gimmick and like stupid. Other people are obviously making it compete with a local favorites main IPA. Yep. Yeah. I, I, they get pretty wide distribution of their naughty sauce, uh, beer stout white stout it's usually just called naughty sauce so it's kind of difficult to describe it as naughty sauce white stout they it kind of came into its own as its own beer you know the name implies the thing that it is it has nothing to do with the style necessarily and everything to do with just the enjoyment that people get from that particular beer an interesting fact though is that white stout is technically not a style as it hasn't been properly recognized by the um, beer judge certification program or the bjcp or the brewers association guidelines but history shows that that really doesn't mean crap because look at new england ipas and how they made their way into it yep so if enough people jump on the bandwagon then it'll eventually end up in there yeah so that means basically for now, it's just kind of um, a common law style. It's something that's just mutually understood. The consensus seems to be that white stout is predominantly a blonde or golden ale of moderate to somewhat high alcohol strength that also exhibits traditional stout flavors such as coffee and chocolate. And I think that's exactly what we're doing. And that really, if you think about it, that's pretty um, light restriction on what the style is there. Mm-hmm. Something that's golden something that's high in alcohol and something that kind of has that roasty sweet chocolate flavor. I mean, you could run with that for days. Yep. Many examples also seek to mimic and include the secondary characteristics of stout, such as a creamy thick mouthfeel and, or the presence of vanilla or other barrel um, induced flavors that aren't common in strong stouts. Hmm. Interesting. I, I think there's a number that I've had before with uh, coffee, you know, that's kind of a common, like, stout flavor that you're looking for and uh chocolate and you know all all that is expected in there but both of those are very dark beverages and so you you kind of have to steep them in ways that doesn't impart uh the color uh to to the actual beer and it's also overly simplistic to say that um it's a stout but pale like it's it's more than just that it's more than just a stout that got its color stripped away <laughs> as i said in the beginning of this the the first lines of the article some do say um they say that the style's really kind of like an oxymoron it's just oxymoronic at best or you know just really like a, a gimmick places trying to get it kind of like um just just places trying to get hype because they're like oh it's a clear white it's a stout but it's not yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, if you look at current existing styles such as the black IPA or red IPA, I mean, you can see that the argument that it's just oxymoronic or whatever, it just doesn't really hold up because uh, uh, IPAs are golden and, you know, they have a certain look. And then you take a black IPA, which is really just like an IPA with roasted malts and kind of has that stouty sense to it. I mean, it's it's just at a, that point. It's you're kinda, a take on a style. And I think, you know push the boundaries brewers like go take it wherever you want to take it try new things don't let the quote-unquote official or oxymoronic uh nature of a style uh deter you from innovation like don't yeah don't don't worry about that this is true and i mean on that note though uh a stout really the term historically refers to the strength of the beer not the color you're looking like a stout again it's um it's a it's a porter that is stronger so really it's just a riff off of an existing style that's made more alcoholic so it it doesn't 
the, the term stout in general doesn't necessarily say, oh, this has to be a dark beer. But unfortunately, you know, in the modern age of craft beer, you see the word stout and you think very specifically that it's going to be something dark. But now is an opportunity, like you said, for brewers to experiment and expand and really kind of play up this this whole style. All right, let's take a look at some sponsored badges that we've recently added to Untapped. So when we were talking earlier about uh, new beer styles that you've had, you mentioned that you just got had the um, Lagunitas Sparkling Swan, which is that kind of like sparkling wine beer hybrid, mm-hmm. and we had a badge for that. Uh, now we have another badge coming to you from Lagunitas. Um, the latest release from Lagunitas is a smoky e coffee e bourbon e barrel-aged beast, as they describe um, working with their friends at Kentucky's own Willet Distillery, Lagunitas was actually able to score some of their bourbon barrels in which they added their Imperial Stout. And the result is this year's batch of Willetized Coffee Stout. Um, it's hitting shelves uh, just in time to warm up your holidays. And you can unlock uh, the badge of the same name by checking into one of these uh, delicious coffee stouts during the month of December. This one sounds incredible. I've, I've got to get my hands on this. Yeah, I I had um I had uh, a willetized victory at sea from oh. Ballast Point, and it was pretty tasty. So I'm I'm wondering to see what the difference. Obviously, like Ballast or victory at sea from Ballast Point and the coffee stout from Lagunitas are going to be very different. But it would be curious to see head to head how the Willet barrels change those two styles. I guess. Yeah, the, you know how how much more bourbony, how much more smoky. Yeah, it sounds really good. The next one we have for you is from Bell's Brewery. Uh, this holiday season, Bell's Brewery is inviting you to sit back, relax by the fire, which yesterday while it was pouring rain and cold sounded amazing. They want you to do that while enjoying their fireside favorites. Um, this is a pack of beers, which includes Bell's Winter White, their Christmas Ale, their Amber Ale, and the Two-Hearted Ale. You can unlock the Fireside Favorites 2018 badge by checking into any of these, any one of these beers. Again, that's the Bell's Winter White, the Christmas Ale, or the Amber Ale, or the Two-Hearted Ale. And that is between now and January 3rd. The next one we have comes from Breckenridge Brewery. This is the return of the Naughty List. We've run this badge a couple of times, but it is back for this year's holiday season. Uh, Breckenridge is making a list and checking it twice like somebody else we know. Uh, but unlike the one that is made in the North Pole, you want to be on the naughty side. If you are, it means you've been caught escaping your holiday responsibilities to instead gift yourself a Breckenridge Christmas Ale. This magically malty beer that tastes of chocolatey caramel, spicy hops, and pure joy is a soul-warming seasonal that will leave you perfectly happy to be on the naughty list this year. You can unlock this one by checking into one Breckenridge Brewery Christmas Ale, as you would suspect, between now and December 28th. The last sponsor badge we're going to cover here, uh, it seems a little out of place for the current weather, but it is the sweet, sweet smell of Azaka. So when we had uh, James from Victory Brewing on our episode, we had a little, there was a little discussion. Azaka, Azaka... It's an interesting one. I, I have not. I've yet to look up the accepted pronunciation for that hop there. Azaka. That's also fun. <laughs> the, this batch coming to you from Founders Brewing Company, basically uh, looking for a bit of tropical goodness this winter. 
obviously you might want to escape the snow and enjoy a little a little refreshing kind of citrusy tropical fruit uh, beer. Look no further than Founders Azaka IPA. Named after the Haitian god of agriculture, the Azaka hop has an intense tropical aroma with hints of citrus and mango. That's that's sure. If you close your eyes, you could you could potentially picture yourself on a tropical island and not snowed in somewhere. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Your taste buds will worship this heavenly hopped delight, and your eyes will enjoy the brand new badge you're going to unlock. Just check into one Azaka IPA from Founders during the month of December, and it is yours. But it will not teach you how to pronounce it. This is true. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. They make great holiday gifts. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast to get 20% off. All right, let's take a look at some of the interesting beer articles that we have found this week. The first article we have for you this week comes from vinepair.com. It is in their beer section. Kellogg's, yes, the cereal maker, turns leftover cornflakes into beer and everyone wins. No, this is not another kind of funky crossover collaboration uh, where a company that has nothing to do with beer decides to make a branded beer, but rather a, a nice way to kind of be a bit more eco-friendly in um, in the world of beer making. Now, I've got to ask, is this a part of a balanced breakfast? Well, I would say according to your uh, delicious po- photo that we recently posted up uh, with the, the Magically Hopalicious beer, yes. <laughs> that was an Altamont Beer Works beer that uh, had a very Lucky Charms-like uh, label on the outside of it. So if you haven't seen that yet, go over to our Instagram, at Untapped, to go check that out. So as we've talked about many times, I know this is something that you and I like to make sure that we cover a bit, and I apologize if we kind of overcover it, but Big Beer has taken very important strides to improve sustainability this year, with brands like Carlsberg and Corona announcing eco-friendly packaging upgrades. Uh, Corona, I believe, um, announced that they were going to be the first ones to mass use reusable um, six-pack rings. And Carlsberg, as we talked about, started using um, basically a little sticky glue to hold their six-packs together instead of plastic rings. That's right, yeah. Um, but the the move has not gone unnoticed by big cereal, apparently. Kellogg's, which, as we all know, is one of the largest cereal makers out there, and we've all eaten at least something that falls under the Kellogg's brand, They've announced a collaboration with a UK-based um, Seven Brothers brewery to turn leftover cornflakes into beer. From a technical side, I, I definitely see how that's totally possible. I don't, I don't know what they would have done with it to begin with. Maybe, maybe feed. Maybe just you know throw it away. So reusing it for for some kind of beverage here sounds like a great way to do it. Great way to do great. it. Great. That's right. Called Throwaway IPA, the release is being brewed at Seven Brothers Brewery in Manchester using cornflakes, which are too big, too small, or over too overcooked to make it to your cereal bowl. So anything that doesn't pass the Kellogg's quality control. According to The Telegraph, 30% of the beer's grain contents are made up of the rejected cereal, with wheat making up the remaining 70%. So this is nice because we did discuss um, a while back, we had an article about a, another European brewery 
that was using uh, the day old leftover bread as part of their grain bill um, in order to kind of keep that from being wasted, which I thought was also great. So this is along the same lines. This is kind of cool, though. I I like that it's, you know, finding use in something that is only sort of adjacently related. Obviously, you know, you the grains in beer are kind of there are cereal, right? They are they are oats. They are grains, uh, wheat, etc. But to see the sort of like already processed bits, it's already gone through this, you know, whole uh, Kelloggification, the the cornflakeification of the cereal, and now now it's now it can be used for for something better uh, since it was just going to be rejected by the system anyway. Yes, and and keeping with our current theme, the the brew it's said to be cornflake golden in color, uh, kind of similar to the white IPAs, but it uh, it not only keeps unwanted cereal from the landfill, it also ho- helps a local food distribution charity called. Fair share. Um, each can sold a uh, ten pence, which is roughly thirteen cents a U.S., will be donated to the cause. So, um, not only are we reusing stuff that would have been wasted, but we're also donating to help um, a food charity. I, it's a win-win all around. Yeah, that sounds really cool. All right, I'm going to ask you the ten million dollar question here, Tim. If you, if there was a cereal brand, a type of cereal that the uh, rejected smaller or, you know, not as cooked bits could be turned into a beer that kind of imparted maybe a tiny bit, just a twinge of that cereal. What would you choose? The first thing that popped in my mind was Fruity Pebbles. Okay. Fruity Pebbles. I think that's been done. I think there was like a Fruity Nuggets or something or like a theme beer. I would also say maybe Captain Crunch. Um Again, I think that's also been done. Mouth, mouthfeel with Captain Crunch is a whole other thing. It just kind of scrapes and it's like this. Just mm, uh. As long as it's not the beer that's scraping and only the cereal, <laughs> I'll, I'll survive. I would have to say Cocoa Puffs because that residual Ooh, okay. like cocoa chocolate milk flavor at the end of the bowl when there aren't even any Cocoa Puffs around anymore is just next level it is so good so any way i can impart that probably highly artificial cocoa flavor to anything i'm on board i'm i'm gonna be controversial and just set myself up for lots and lots of hate and that's fine i am a non-milk in my cereal person so just from the box like what do you do is there a spoon involved still what happens here now this i can't we don't have time to unpack this I know. You're like, oh, my gosh, we need to have an entire episode dedicated to discussing your distaste. I I just I hate soggy cereal. Please don't tell me you use like water or something instead. Please, 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 please. No, no, no. I just I just I just need to That's that's fine. I mean, that's you probably picked up that habit maybe when your your kid was younger and it was just very much like a Cheerios world. Oh, no, this has been me forever. forever. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. I just don't like I don't like soggy cereal. And anyway, let's before we before we go too far with that. Uh, back to the article here. Uh, Kellogg's is always exploring different and, and sustainable ways to reduce food waste in its factories. So it is great to be involved in such a fun initiative with a local supplier, says Kate Prince, uh, a social responsibility manager for Kellogg's UK. Um, and meanwhile, at um, over at Seven Brothers, uh, Allison Watson, who is from there, says that Seven Brothers Brewery is delighted to be working with Kellogg's on a project that uses edible but non-sellable cereal. The beer is actually a 5% ABV IPA um, and is one of 
one of three the brewery plans to create using upcycled cornflakes. Um, here's hoping the other two will be a milk stout or a chocolate porter. That's what I'm saying. Hopefully with Cocoa Puffs. Now, I've got to hear if you have a favorite cereal out there that you would like turned into a beer, send it to us. We're at Untapped on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That would be very interesting to hear about. Our next article flips everything around that we've been talking about here. Uh, it's coming from Forbes.com and is this California bakery is making bread out of beer. So the beer out of bread. Uh, it's the circle of life. Right? <laughs> That's right on. Beer has long been lauded as liquid bread. The connection between the drink and its associated food is founded upon grain. Both rely on similar cereals, barley, rye, wheat, uh, to arrive at kindred flavors. They also both need big help from a little friend called yeast along the way. Now, the place that's local to me, actually, it's called The Butcher's Daughter here in Venice, California. Um, it's now taking the relationship to the next level. They've partnered with Trumer Pills to bake a, the legendary Berkeley Brewery's beer into something edible. That is not at all what I expected. Wow, interesting. What would a Trumer Pills bread be like? Yeasty, I guess. Which all bread is, yeah, but it, like very yeast forward, you know? Bubbly. Possibly. Mm. I mean, um, Trumer Pills is a very classic Pilsner. Oh, one of very, my favorites. Absolutely one of my favorite beers of all time. It's it's a great one. Um, and they do say in this article that perhaps we've been looking at it wrong this whole time. Bread, it turns out, is actually solid beer. That's a very fun way to look at it. Although it's not a novel, although it's a uh, it's a novel concept here to American audiences. European brewers and bakers have been collaborating since the Middle Ages, which you know, again, I just mentioned um, in a previous article that we uh, read about a European brewery that was making beer with leftover bread. We've talked about how um, you know in the Middle Ages you had a lot of uh, um, you drank beer instead of water, and it kind of lined up with the whole bread making process. Mm -hmm. Um, so it all it all really ties together, and the ingredients shared are so so perfectly lined up. Um, so before this particular partnership could take shape, bread and pastry chef Perry Ledesma had to take a page from the past. Uh, he says bakers used to skim the fermented yeast off the top of brew barrels. Mm. So because it was some sort of like activated yeast, right? At that point, it sort of has been charged. They've been been eaten for a little while, and then you can. You know, add them to to the bread. They're ready to go. Yeah, exactly. I think that that lines up right on with um, the reasoning there. He also says that having the chance to explore this history further, see, smell, taste the ingredients, taking them apart and recreating them into something new was challenging. One important point of separation, however, bread typically doesn't involve the use of hops. The obviously powerful aromatic flour used to give beer its distinctive bitterness and he says that in weaving trimmer pills into bread, uh, Ledesma had to learn how to incorporate this crucial ingredient without disrupting the flavor of his baked goods. Well, that's an interesting point. I don't know how hops would play into that bready flavor profile, but I will say that hops in water, hops in beer, I like both of those. So I wonder if hops in bread would be... I think it depends on the type of bread. Um, I think the characteristics of olive oil and some of the, the oils that could be added to bread can be grassy. They can be, you know, sharp. And, and they are some of the flavors that you get off of hops sometimes. So maybe the minor addition of this beer kind of lends itself a little bit to the... 
uh, fresh, uh, earthy, grassy quality of maybe a, a more rustic style loaf. Um, you know, something more aromatic. And now I'm not up on different styles of bread. I know you are the foodie between the two of us. So you probably have a lot more experience there. But I can see what basically what you're saying. I can completely see how that would line up. One interesting thing, though, is that it getting that um, hop sort of essence to work well with the bread recipes, it really did require a lot of um, old-fashioned trial and error. Yeah. Uh, Ledesma goes on to say, when we started making the breads and learning more about the hops, we saw how it interacted with the different flour, uh, resulting in different tastes, which informed the flavors that best paired with it. That is very, very interesting. We're going to have to take a trip out there and try this because... This is close. This is nearby, and it, it includes one of my favorite beers, so I'm excited to try it. Once you're once you're back down here and we can uh, meet up in the office, I will have to run over there because it's not too, too far from uh, where I live, so I can make that happen. All right, beer pairing. I'll bring the olive oil. You bring the olive oil and the shrimmer pills. Yep. I'll bring the bread. All right, deal. Speaking of rustic and old-worldly style beers, our next article comes from craftbeer.com, and it is Meet the Brewery Who Makes Tree Beers. Not three beers, tree beers. How many have you had? Oh, just tree. I love, love, love beers with like spruce tips or things that are, are very um, Pacific Northwest, like, you know, just uh, herbaceous and, and, and like walking into a forest. When an IPA tastes like that, that's when I love it. I Now, I know you, you, um, you talk about the Fort George um, spruce tip, right? Yep. Yep. Beer. This this takes it to a whole new level. Um, before I go on, I will say that there's a bit of a summary, and then the rest of it is in a short video um, profile of this brewer on this website. So you should definitely go over and take a second to watch it. But I'll, I'll run through and kind of summarize what's going on here as well as read the um, the intro here. The Hidden Mother Brewery out of Washington State. Hey, there you go, Pacific Northwest. Yep. They specialize in a type of beer you don't often hear about, tree beers. Now, I wonder if that's an official style. Owner and brewer Mike Dieter says his fascination started when he read an article about a molasses porter brewed for soldiers during colonial times. And since then, he says he's, quote, played with a lot of different trees. Brewing with trees is hard work, but Dieter loves that he can turn out an innovative beer that beer lovers like to drink. So the video that's on this page, they uh, kind of run through the process of making a farmhouse saison. Uh, they do a little bit more of a background profile afterwards. But in the Cezanne recipe, basically what they do is they, they literally chop down a ponderosa pine tree. They gut it out um, and carve out the inside to make it kind of like a luge. And they run the beer through the tree like a trough for about 45 to 55 minutes. A flume, lo a log flume. Is there a flume involved? <laughs> it's it. Just imagine like... You, you carve out the center of a half of a log, and it's just a trough that it runs down through. Interesting. During this process, the beer runs through. It actually picks up some of the pitch from the tree and pulls that into the final product. And in addition, they take the needles from the tree, and they actually like place them in the trough that the beer's running through. And then they take a, you know, a torch, and they, they burn the needles and smoke them while the beer's running through this. So it picks up that, that needle essence. Uh, um, this particular Saison that they do, they, they add some pink peppercorns to it, and it ends up being this really delicious kind oh. of funky Saison that I can only imagine literally tastes like a forest. Like a, like a tree. I need this, Tim. 
I need this very, 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 very much. Yeah, the the the, the profile does um, talk that basically he started working with cedar, and then he went on to ponderosa pine, and he's actually messed around with spruce as well. Um, and just decided that after seeing that video about the colonial kind of molasses beer, that no one was doing anything like this, and he really just kind of wanted to give it a shot, and it ended up working out. As you can imagine, you know, growing trees or cutting them down and hauling them out, it's it's a lot of work. It's not just throwing supplies from a supplier into a kettle and brewing it. I mean, I'm not not to not to diminish the amount of work that goes into making any other beer, but hollowing out a tree, cutting it down, running everything through it, like it's all very very labor intensive. I would definitely say that this is a perfect way to spruce up a beer. <laughs> well done. It's been a while since we had a really good Kyle pun there. You can find a link to this article as well as the other articles in our show notes, but I'd recommend going over and taking a look at it because I can describe it, but you can't really just, you can't grasp exactly how, I want to say ridiculous, but also amazing it is to watch them kind of hollow out this tree and run the beer through it while smoking pine needles on top. So you should definitely go over and check it out. All right, show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. If you've got any questions for us, please be sure to send them over and connect with us on Twitter facebook and instagram it's at untapped so until next week cheers, cheers.